coming up on Naked Age, we'll explore the stories of two trailblazing women who were instrumental in shaping the landscape of American nudism. When Reed Suplee finally proposed to me, he said, do you want to be the wife of a nudist camp director? The First Ladies of Sunny Rest Lodge, a tale of two Suplees. Coming up right now on Naked Age. Stay tuned. This episode of Naked Age is supported by a sponsorship grant from the American Association for Nude Recreation Education Foundation. Learn more about the Anner Education Foundation and their mission, or make a donation at aanr-ef.com. Welcome to Naked Age, a nudist history series exploring uncommon stories and profiling unique people who have gone to extraordinary lengths to live a nude life. I'm your host, Evan Nix. Today, we learn about the lives of Jeanette Schuster and Zelda Suplee, two trailblazing figures in American nudism whose vision and determination transformed Sunny Rest Lodge in Pennsylvania into a pivotal hub for nudists across the nation. This is Naked Age. When reflecting on the pioneers of any movement, do we sufficiently recognize the women who often stand in the shadows of history? Within the nudist movement specifically, women's roles have been multifaceted and complex, and there exists a striking contrast. The movement's early visuals and narratives often reflected exploitive views of women to sell magazines and propagate their ideas. Yet within the core of the movement, influential female leaders carved out their own paths pioneers who defied these norms. The essence of our story today isn't just that Jeanette and Zelda Suplee both married J. Reed Suplee. In today's episode, we'll explore the captivating lives of two pioneering women in the nudist movement. We'll learn about Jeanette Schuster's foundational contributions in establishing Sunny Rest Lodge, and how Zelda Suplee, as a nudist advocate, excelled in public relations and played a pivotal role in shaping the movement's image and reach. Join us as we uncover the impactful legacies these women carved out within the nudist movement and beyond, right after this. If you're someone who's ever wondered about the cultural aspects of nudity and art in the world, look no further than Planet Nude. At Planet Nude, we go beyond skin-deep discussions of nudism and delve into the current cultural, intellectual, and philosophical topics around nudity exploring the way it's been used in art and activism, and the impact it has in our lives today. With a diverse group of contributors, Planet Nude brings thought-provoking essays and art uncovering everything from the history of nudism to the latest news. Join the close free conversation at Planet Nude by subscribing on Substack today at planetnude.co. See you on Planet Nude. In 1979, two retired school teachers and active nudists named Reed and Jeanette Schuster founded the American Nudist Research Library at Cypress Cove Nudist Resort in Kissimmee, Florida. At first, their personal collection of hundreds of nudist magazines made up the bulk of ANRL's holdings. 
However, realizing the library's directive to collect and preserve this cultural history for posterity, the Schusters soon began a monumental undertaking to record the histories of various nudist leaders and club owners around the country. January the 20th, 1979, Reed Schuster speaking with June Swartz, the former Bernard. June Lang. Reading from the ASA Bullet in December 1974. In service of this effort, Reed or Jeanette, or sometimes both, would travel around the United States visiting nudist leaders and conducting interviews with a portable cassette recorder. This project would extend until Reed Schuster's death from Lou Gehrig's disease in 1990, and ultimately, somewhere around 200 taped volumes were collected. The couple's vast knowledge of the nudist movement, which came from years of personally documenting it under different pseudonyms for nudist publications, contributed significantly to this effort. The result of their labor is a wholly original canon of invaluable nudist history that has been preserved for a generation at the American Nudist Research Library. Today's episode would not have been possible if not for this collection of audio. At some point, apparently realizing their own importance in the larger nudism movement, Reed and Jeanette turned the mics on themselves. This is Saturday, April 14, 1979. Reed Schuster interviewing Jay Schuster, also known as Jane Bernard, also known as the former Jeanette W. Suplee. Jeanette Schuster told the story of her part in establishing Sunny Rest Lodge, a nudist resort founded in 1945 in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. Sunny Rest, now a 190-acre resort, is among the country's oldest and most established nudist facilities and has been a cornerstone of American nudism, known for its sociable, relaxed, and inclusive atmosphere. Here's her story. This is October 28, 1978. And this is Jeanette Schuster speaking. For the past 32 years, I have been Jeanette Schuster, but prior to that time, I was Jeanette Suplee, and as such, was one of the two owners of Sunny Rest Lodge. Sunny Rest Lodge was located about five miles out of Bowmanstown, Pennsylvania, approximately 25 miles north of Allentown, Pennsylvania. It was on uh, the rail line from Philadelphia and from New York, and also on the bus line, which greatly added to its feasibility as a resort. It was Memorial Day 1939 when my husband Reed Suplee and I first went to a nudist park. The park we attended on that Memorial Day was Valley of the Sun in San Bernardino, California. We became very enthusiastic over the entire idea of nudism. And when Ray and Helen Burry decided to sell Valley of the Sun, we uh, considered buying it with Ray and Helen Shetty. However, at that time, it was the beginning of World War II, 1941, and we felt that uh, gasoline would greatly inhibit people attending camp, and uh, we did not go into the ownership, but Ray and Helen Shuddy did. 
this happens to have been the beginning of Sunnyrest Lodge because we never quite got it out of our minds that we actually wanted to have our own nudist resort. As we traveled around the clubs of Southern California, we made notes of what we would like to have if and when we ever had a nudist park. Reed was transferred back to Allentown, Pennsylvania during the war years to Convair Aircraft Company in Allentown. We scrupulously followed the Allentown newspaper reading for any advertisement that had an appeal to us that we thought would be applicable to a nudist park in the future. I uh, was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, when Reed called me one evening and he read an advertisement over the telephone, which for $2,500 listed a farm of 75 acres outside of Bowmanstown. It mentioned that it was no longer very valuable as a farm, that the land was rocky and not particularly tillable, but it mentioned secluded. And this was one of the key words that we'd been searching for. We ran into a typical Pennsylvania Dutch family owning this place. As we walked around, we noted that there was a large barn. There were at least six outbuildings. There was a farmhouse, and there was a continual running spring that they used for their drinking water. There was no electricity and uh, no facilities. Outhouses, this type of thing, were what were being used. The little dirt lane ended at the entrance to the farmhouse, and uh, no public could go up this dirt lane. So it was out of public domain. The place seemed to hit us right and uh, the price certainly was right first thing we did was go into an attorney and have him check it through to make certain that there was no law on the books which would prohibit a nudist park there was no point in our buying a farm if we could not go ahead with our ideas this was late in the year of 1944 and by early January 45, we were the owners of the 75-acre farm outside of Bowmanstown. Our goal was to open Sunny Rest Lodge Memorial Day of 1945. At this time, Reed was working in Hagerstown, Maryland, a good... Uh, 200 to 300 miles away. It meant that I would have the responsibility of getting this place ready, trying to get it open, and uh, it wasn't an easy job, let's put it that way. One of my first things in my mind was that we should have advertisements, so I started to write for Sunshine and Health and extol the wonders of Sunnyrest. Now, Sunnyrest didn't have any wonders yet, but I was started to write about them. And I also applied for a charter with the American Sunbathing Association. I hired several boys and I got these boys cleaning out the chicken houses, which were compatible with any chicken house you've ever seen. Just layer after layer of uh, chicken manure. 
and these boys hauled this out and hauled it out and hauled it out until they got these chicken houses cleaned out. They then went in and washed them out thoroughly and proceeded to whitewash all the walls. By the end of April, we had two cabins, no running water, but we had basins with big white pitchers in them. And then we tackled the two pig houses. The people that came from New York and Philadelphia had no idea the places had been formerly occupied by pigs or by chickens. They thought these were lovely little cabins. Every cabin was lit only with kerosene light, but uh, it seemed like it added to the rusticness of the place. We planted an orchard on the hillside. Above the uh, running spring, we erected a drum and put holes in it and had a pipe going up there that would keep the drum full of water and a string that you would pull. And this was a shower without any heat, just with the um, cold water from the spring. That was the only shower we had. Adjoining the farmhouse, we planted a vegetable garden. Another goal I had was that all our meals would be uh, fresh vegetables, home-cooked food, homemade ice cream. We purchased hams from the local farmers. Through the entire summer of 1945, I said everybody in this small dining room and my kitchen could not have been much over 8 by 10. We had to haul all our washing water, all our cooking water, and I had to pump my gasoline stove by hand. We thought we would spend the rest of our lives in that type of environment. The popularity of Sunnyrest Lodge was quite evident from the very beginning. We had people coming up for vacations, staying for a week, Reed was not there. He was still in Hagerstown. We had very good feeling among the neighborhood people. I think it was due to the fact that I went out and well, proselyted, I suppose. But everywhere I went and everything I bought, whenever I bought it, anything at all, I proceeded to tell them I was buying it for Sunny Rest Lodge. And if they'd say, what was that or where is this? I'd say, well, that's a nudist park up here. Haven't you heard about it? And then I would proceed to tell them the wonders of nudism. And uh, I was never reluctant to get on my soapbox. It was in April of 1945 that I was informed by Uncle Danny Boone that we had been granted a charter. And I drove to May's Landing to pick it up. I was quite elated to think that we were admitted to the American Sunbathing Association, having no idea how easy it was to be admitted. During the fall and winter of 1946, we were inundated with letters and with inquiries. I think this is because I was continually writing in the magazine about Sunny Rest, and also because we were advertising in Sunshine and Hell. And when Memorial Day came around, <clears throat> we had our first anniversary we had over a hundred people for the entire weekend. Jeanette was the cook, the bottle washer, the food purchaser, the money collector, the bed maker, anything that had to do with the operation of the club. It was I. Reed finally 
finished his job down in Hagerstown, Maryland, and joined me at the park in April of 46 and uh, began to erect a new mess hall. It was later called Bear Belly Inn. size of it was 25 by 50. And Bear Belly Inn had a large kitchen and could feed without any difficulty 150 to 200 people, which we did do over July 4th, 1946. We had that many people for the entire weekend. We um, had the office there also, and it was a full-time job managing Sunny Rest. At the beginning, I had enjoyed going into the farmhouse and uh, entering into uh, cards, checkers, whatever they were playing at night. But that second year, I was just very glad at night to crawl into bed. On another tape, I'll tell you about uh, another camp I later owned in California, which was Sunny Terraces. And also, I became editor of um, Suntan Magazine and later editor of Sun Fun Magazine. And uh, really have never given up being active in the nudist movement, although not politically. This is um, an area that uh, didn't appeal to me in the slightest. In fact, as the uh, movement became more political, I felt that I preferred to remain in the background doing other things. Many people don't know me as Jeanette Suplee in the movement because I did write under the name of Jane Bernard and also as Jill Reynolds. And just 32 years ago, I married Reed Schuster, so you can see there are many names here, but when I was the owner-operator of Sunnyrest Lodge, it was as Jeanette W. Supply. Among the many roles that Jeanette filled at Sunny Rest, largely on her own as Reed was away working in his primary career as an engineer, an important job that she somehow neglects to mention in her account of these years was the job of mother to their young daughter, Jeannie. As a parent, I know that job doesn't slow down no matter how busy things get. Jeanette and Jay Reed Suplee divorced in 1946, and Jeanette left Sunny Rest to California with Reed Schuster, a nudist with whom she had grown close while he was working at Sunny Rest after the war. They were soon married. A few months later, Jay Reed married Zelda Roth. Born in 1908 in New York City, Zelda had spent her early years in New Jersey. After completing high school, she moved to Greenwich Village and started working as a researcher for Bernard McFadden, a controversial publishing tycoon best known for Physical Culture, a magazine on health and fitness that was massively popular in the United States in the early 20th century. McFadden himself was an early proponent of nude exercise, writing about it and other ideas shared with Germany's Freikorperkultur movement, even before Ungewitter's seminal book Nakedness was published in 1906. And by featuring occasional articles, McFadden and physical culture helped to propagate the nudist idea in the United States in the 1920s. Zelda worked for Bernard McFadden for 17 years, editing multiple publications, such as True Story, True Detective, 
and Mystery Detective magazine. According to historian Daniel Bly, McFadden was clearly an influence on Zelda. Zelda married a man named Walter Kreutzmann in 1937 and continued working for McFadden throughout their marriage. Not long after her first divorce in 1946, Zelda married J. Reed Suplee, an engineer and former Quaker who owned Pennsylvania's popular nudist resort, Sunny Rest Lodge. In her new role as co-owner and camp director, Zelda, alongside Reed, built Sunny Rest up into one of the most successful nudist resorts in the country, eventually becoming the first nudist resort to establish its own airfield. The couple became fixtures in the national nudist movement, advocating publicly for nudism often. In 1947, Reed ran for and won the presidency of the National Organization of Nudists, then called the American Sunbathing Association. In 1948, the couple expanded their business, opening up a second camp in Florida called Sunny Palms. A few years later, they'd open up a third club in New Jersey called Sunny Heights. Beyond owning and operating nudist resorts, however, the couple had other areas of influence in the movement serving as editors for Suntan Magazine, which they printed right at Sunny Rest. Zelda would also deliver lectures and speeches in public as an open nudist, a very uncommon admission for anyone to make publicly in 1950. In 1953, she stepped, fully clothed, into the national spotlight when she appeared on the television show What's My Line as a nudist camp owner. Do you operate some sort of a nudist colony? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Mrs. Reed, I think, would accept that general classification, but she prefers the designation a nudist park. That's actually what she runs. A, a, a nudist colony is no longer polite. It's a nudist park resort. Oh, when nudist you park, park, it's all right. In 1961, Zelda appeared in the Doris Wishman nudist camp film, Diary of a Nudist, portraying herself the camp director of Sunny Palms. Come on in. Stacy, I'm so glad to meet you. I'm Zelda Suplee. Won't you sit down? Thank you. I hope you didn't have trouble finding us. She would go on to act in more films in the 1960s. She also continued to infiltrate popular culture, reportedly becoming the first case of full frontal nudity in Playboy magazine in August 1963, when she appeared in a feature written by pop poet Shel Silverstein called Silverstein Visits a Nudist Camp. These appearances, alongside her ongoing activism and advocacy, cemented her status as a public face of nudism, and she would be remembered by nudists for such for many years to follow, especially around Sunny Rest Lodge. Zelda Suplee served many roles in her time, notably as a writer, publisher, and occasional actor whose intelligence and fearlessness made her a powerful force for nudist advocacy and later gender studies and education. She proudly represented both spheres publicly, appearing on television and in films, radio, and print media over a career of advocacy that spanned more than 40 years. Here's her story. This is Reed Schuster interviewing Zelda Suplee on a Saturday morning, November the 11th, 1978, at Woodland Hills, California. Zelda, just how did you become interested in nudism in the first place? First of all, I was born nude. And although my mother refused to have our pictures taken on the usual white bearskin rug, I did go nude swimming with the girls and camping. Camping played a big part in my life. At the girls' camps, the counselors would go swimming at night in the nude, which I loved. 
then sometimes we'd be able to go swimming during the day in the nude, privately. I went hiking a lot, and when we would come to a place to swim, sunbathe, this would happen in a, in a very small family group. I went up to Lake George, and it was part of life in the islands to go buck bathing at night. Major Lyman Barry, who was an old-timer in the hiking, camping, and in the nudist field, invited my then-husband and me to his place, and we went swimming in the nude. My son, then he was, helped open Camp Yaphank, which became Camp Upton up in Long Island at the beginning of World War I, or even before. And we were sun, uh, sunning in, uh, in the nude there. But still, this was friends. Then, a few years later, he invited me to go up to this little place in the um, Pennsylvania. There were about eight people going up there, and I didn't want to go. I, these were go up among strangers, and they were run by two Quakers, and I, so I visualized these little white-haired Quakers. What were they doing? However, he promised that I could have a ride in the Jeep, and I hadn't been in a Jeep. And I didn't want to swim in a pool. I liked a lake. He promised to take me to a lake. Full of promises. So we went there, and there were just a few people there. We were greeted warmly by Jeanette. There were children around. And everybody was so friendly, and it seemed so intimate. And I thought, are they all sleeping with one another? They were so warm, and, and I felt very much at home. But then came the time, the moment of truth, when I was to disrobe in public. Well, I had some garment on, and I wanted to, to go in swimming. I dropped it and dived into the pool. And finally, I had to get up and sit on the side. There were about four people sitting around, and I waited for them to drop dead at these disclosures of what had been kept in the eyes of strangers. And nobody gave a damn. And I think I was piqued because I knew my breasts were good. And, well, that was the beginning. Later, in the middle of August, I went back. And at that time, there was a campfire, which was our only entertainment. This was all pre-TV. And the cook broke her ankle. And I went into help in 1946 to help read running things and he eventually decided that it was cheaper to marry me than to hire me however i do remember something at that time in that august visit we had met in the nude and i worked around the kitchen the nude and i was just helping and working and it got cool that night and i put on slacks and my son's navy sweater with a white shirt underneath and I knew it looked nice and for the first time I guess I looked like a woman always because it's you know the uh, man's imagination is a woman's best friend and that's when I got a compliment he said gee you look nice when Reed Suplee finally proposed to me he said do you want to be the wife of a nudist camp director? And I knew that I did not want to run a nudist camp, but I did know that I wanted to marry him. And so I said, we'll talk about that some other time. And we never did get around to talking about it. 
The following spring, after we were married, we went up in April to a cold, rainy, desolate place. But the weather cleared and we started to put cement block at the bottom of the swimming pool. That was our first chore. So I became a third degree mason. The camp was in very rustic condition. That was its charm when it was originally purchased and it was remote. But at Sunny Rest Lodge, the slogan that we gave it, Sunny Rest, no sun and no rest. But it had both at times. It was work and it was work, but there was so much of it that was so enjoyable. The time that Jeannie came home from the school bus, and Jeannie was Reed's 10-year-old daughter, and she was going to the local school, and she came home and, and she was cried because she said that they were teasing her on the school bus, and I cried too. And so I said, well, the next time one of the boys teases you, about living in a nudist camp, you ask him whether his father has a swimming pool in his front yard. I could think of nothing else. And that started me to think along the lines of public opinion, that we had to do something. And so we did start a very successful project of getting in touch with a local square dance band very popular and having close square dances, inviting the uh, local public. And I was invited to speak on, on a program and the local Allentown station moderator, uh, Uncle Tom, was very popular, very controversial, and he became a very good friend and would dedicate at all times songs or music for little Jonathan up at Sunny Rest. Then with the newspaper people, we invited them to come up and do stories. And we became a part of the community in the, uh, in the town. We paid our bills and we lived on credit during the winter. After the first summer, which we survived, it was decided that Reed and I should take a trip to Florida because there was too much snow. We couldn't work on the camp. And also it was decided that we would have to give full time. There was a need for a camp of this, this sort in the area. And so we went down to Florida on credit cards and the car trunk filled with cans of beans and cooked Pennsylvania Dutch sausage. When we got to Florida, I hadn't seen my brother for several years who had moved down there and that was our ostensible reason to go down there. And we visited a nudist in Brooksville, and he said there's no place in Florida for a camp that's being built up. So we had nothing on our minds, and so we decided that we would just see if there was any property or real estate available. We had $50 to our name, and that was all, absolutely nothing else. A few, a few debts, but we thought it would just be fun to find out someday if we could afford it. Thought you could run a place in the summer and then go down to Florida and run another place. Little did we know. We go into a real estate office and they well, what do you want this acreage for? And Reed would say, for a nudist camp. But they would kept their calm uh, and they would show us some property and then we would thank them and then drive merrily away. Well, finally we got down to Miami and we had gone the gamut of sunny range, sunny swamp, sunny blackjack, 
until we came down to Miami and the real estate firm sent us up some property that was down south of Homestead. Well, we couldn't, didn't quite know where it was, but we saw in Homestead a real estate place and there was a little lady there. And I guess she talked faster than we did. And we went out to see this property and the first thing no, we knew we had left our $50 with her and wired the bank for a loan for this sale. It so happened that this property that we had couldn't we couldn't have, but we did get another 40 acres. Just it was high pine land, about nine miles from Everglades Park, and we decided it would be Sunny Palms Lodge. We went back. And I said, we're crazy. We agreed that we were crazy. Here, how can you go into an investment of 40 acres, $50 an acre, when you had no money and you were living on credit to start the camp? We were going to have a conference, convention, nudist convention up there at Sunny Rest, and I had enough problems. Where were I going to get blankets, sheets, beds, everything? And so while I was worrying about the Sunny Rest Lodge, we very quietly getting ready to move to Sunny Palms. September 28th, uh, as scheduled, at 9 o'clock in the morning, we left in our bucket of bolts, which was a 1936 Buick and a Ford of somewhat later vintage. And I had just been driving for about three weeks down to Florida. And arrived in Homestead to stay at a motel while the property was being scarified, that's cleared, and just at the beginning of a hurricane. And we arrived at the area, and it looked like a lake. Uh, the clearing had taken place about three and a half central acres. But the water disappeared. Little John had come down with us. He was a Pennsylvania Dutchman who had retired from hard work in a mill, and he had adopted us, and he just was our great friend, without whom we could never have managed, whether it came to babysitting or helping to lay brick. We erected two big Red Cross tents. One was the cook tent, my office, my dining room, my kitchen, and the shop. The other tent was a dormitory. There was a smaller tent that was used for uh, the two girls to sleep in, and another tent, a very fine one, with mosquito netting and all that modern type, that little John had. The children had to go about a mile and a half to get the school bus, and they rode on one bike that had been fixed up with a little tandem seat. We found out that we would need a zoning permit, and there was a lawyer who said he could get it for us, as he was politically knowledgeable and knew everybody there. And I were not to, to go around publicly. That was different from my own method of, of uh, public relations. And what I wanted to do was to go around and talk to people. But I was, it was implied that I should really keep my mouth shut. And I had learned that from my father, who said that a man who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client. So we followed Vernon Turner. There was opposition from the ministerial board. There was one young man in town who was a real estate man. He became our friend and he invited us to a garden club party. And he placed me in back on the chow line in back of the Lutheran minister without introducing me. 
and we got along charmingly, charmingly. And then he said, came up and he said, Oh, Reverend so-and-so, you haven't met Mrs. Suplee, have you? And the minister wanted to die <laughs> because he had probably had visions of me uh, without clothes already and not knowing who I was. Then we got a letter from Mike and Vi Barron, whom we knew as nudist leaders in the Dayton, Ohio group. They wanted to come down for a week or two, maybe three weeks, and rest. He was quite tired. This worried me because we were living under the simplest, primitive conditions. And I wrote all about the conditions. And the more I wrote, the more anxious they were to come down. I didn't realize how badly he needed a complete change. We had to go up to Miami, I guess, on the day they were to arrive. And we saw them on the road coming into camp, and we said, you're running the place. There was no one else there. So they, it was prophetic because a uh, year later, they came down bag and baggage and did take over the management for nine years. The problem of the zoning permit was a big one because while there was a no law against nudism, as a matter of fact, there was a law permitting nudism in Florida, we did need the local politicians' support. The zoning board passed. We were turned down on the vote of the local county commissioner. So we went back to Pennsylvania to have sunny palms as our winter residence and to have guests invited to visit us. In the meantime, we had started to build the pool, and Mike and Vi uh, extended their stay so as to help us. Then they went back to Dayton and sold everything and came down permanently and bought the 60 acres next to us, and that's when they started running the camp. Sunny Rest started to expand. New we built new cabins. I became a, a carpenter. More buildings were built. The pool had to be modernized. And, of course, electricity had been put in, telephone. The children's camp was established. In the meantime, I had become more and more interested in the public relations end of things. I knew I was not an innkeeper, but I did want to have nudism understood by the people. And I would speak whenever the opportunity arose at the Rotary Club, Juanis, industrial clubs and grocery industrial clubs and wherever they needed a speaker. In the winter when we stayed down in Hatboro from Pennsylvania, I talked locally. The ministers there at the Baptist Church told me at the Qantas, he said, I, I wish that I could preach this from my pulpit. I was very unreluctant to be in touch with the press. I became a friend and correspondent of Earl Wilson, Jack Kofod of the Miami paper, Charles McCarry, and they would print all the information about our activities. In the meantime, we were running 10 years at Sunny Palms without our zoning permit. The, we did get health examination and police loved it. State police would love to come, come down and have a swim. They were our friends. We enjoyed our Cokes. It, it was the local editor had driven all the way out in the early days of Sunny Palms to tell me that we better start politicking because the ministerial board was against us. And that's when I went around and got a petition for signing. It was a very exciting thing to see the sense of fair play in the American public because I didn't know when we went down there whether we'd be tarred and feathered. 
and uh, we were contrary to the mores of the area. Uh, it was not until 10 years later, one time I was talking to Judge Willard, who used to run his dogs around, and he'd come over and have coffee at 12 o'clock at night. He was a very respected judge. And I stopped off at his campfire one time, and I said, you know, one of the new commissioners said that he would vote for us to get our zoning permit if we wanted to put through another request. And uh, Judge Willard said, well, my son Clyde would be glad to be your attorney. He said he has never forgotten what you said to him eight years ago. I don't know what I'd said to him, but he was impressed by something I'd said about nudist philosophy. And so Clyde took the case over. Although I had sworn I'd never gone to Dade County Courthouse again, there I was. And we went through it. And by that time, though, we had a crew of staunch members down there at Sunny Palms. And they got the letters that were sent to the commissioners. And they did the work that was needed for us. And it was 10 years later in public opinion. And we did get the zoning permit. And that's when we really had to take out a new mortgage to pay for the improvements that required a new plumbing palace, a new pool, and to meet the stringent state hotel regulations. In the meantime, back at the ranch in Pennsylvania, Rita decided that it would be what we needed. The nudist movement needed was a all-year-round winter-summer resort, halfway between New York and Philadelphia. I said, over my dead body. So I guess they have stepped over it and we got this property near Roosevelt, New Jersey. And then I went back with a pickaxe digging the pudding through clay. But we had not gotten the advice of a local geological expert. After the swimming pool was built, the wall of the swimming pool caved in after heavy rains. The pressure was too great. The water did not drain off because of the clay. A house was built and the wall of the, of the basement fell through after a heavy rain. Because of the uh, uh, difficulties in, in running Sunny Heights, we decided it, it should, could be sold. Some members wanted to buy it and it was sold after about two years. As we got deeper and deeper and, and our total life was involved in nudism and the sunnies as we call them, we expanded into sunny specialties. Norval Packwood has a very talented son who's an artist and who did cartoons. Norval Packwood was the founder and owner of Pine Forest near Sunshine Park at Mays Landing and executive secretary of the ASA for several years. We encouraged ourselves and our friends to supply ideas for the cartoons and having been a cartoon editor for on detective magazines before I married a nudist camp, I was particularly delighted with this phase and young Packwood did a beautiful job of sketching. There were glasses, there were nudist towels and it, it was really it was a great deal of fun to create this. Then there was a, a magazine had been started, and having been a magazine editor, I knew what it was to start a magazine or to work on a magazine and create it, and I said, over my dead body. But it had been started by a few uh, zealous nudists and had bad financial straits, and someone said they would help it out, and Reed fell asleep during the meeting, but when he woke up, 
he said, whatever's okay with you guys is okay with me, and we found ourselves the publishers of Suntan Magazine, which uh, at that time had to be airbrushed. One time we went down to the post office building in Washington, and I never saw such prurient-minded officials looking for a pubic hair somewhere. It was difficult to distribute the magazine. It had to be done personally, and we had to travel around because a lot of the areas, the distribution was controlled. It was a good magazine with great contributions. We were very proud of it, but the distribution was a problem. Then Reed had the idea of having a community established at Sunny Rest where people could work there, people could support themselves, and he built, built a factory, good size, as a spot welding engineer where he could do production there. I became a spot welder's assistant, and that was called Sunny Specialties Company. In the meantime at Sunny Rest, the cabineers grew in numbers that one time there were about 55 families that had cottages there on 99-year lease. They had a Cabineers Association and uh, this big tennis court was built on a man-made hill. So there was a canteen as well as the dining hall. There were a lot, a lot of very interesting activities. This one member who was a scientist, who was, we called him Botany Bill, he would take people on nature hikes. We had seven miles of trails because beyond these 76 acres of sunny rest was a wooded area uh, and that we were given permission to hike on. It was a, a developed into a, a very uh, well-equipped resort. Zelda and Reed Suplee divorced in 1961. As part of their separation, Zelda kept Sunny Rest Lodge and remained in Pennsylvania, and Reed took Sunny Palms and moved to Florida to operate it. By 1984, during his third marriage to a non-nudist and in ailing health, Reed Suplee decided to sell the 40-acre property to DuPont Chemicals. Members and neighbors rallied against the sale, but the zoning change was approved. The members and residents subsequently created Sunnier Palms, a not-for-profit corporation, and has since evolved into a successful cooperative nudist park still in operation today in St. Lucie County, Florida. Over the years that Zelda recounted in her telling, she became a sort of infamous presence at Sunny Rest in Pennsylvania, spending most of her time in an elevated office over the cafeteria, which had large glass windows allowing her to look out over the club's main social area. Her reputation stayed after she left in 1965, when she gave up her ownership in Sunny Rest and moved back to New York to begin working with another man named Reed, Reed Erickson a wealthy transgender philanthropist who was just establishing what would become the Erickson Educational Foundation. As the general manager of the foundation, Zelda became a strong advocate for transgender rights and education. A whole other podcast episode could be dedicated to Zelda's advocacy for the transgender community in the 1960s. And in fact, we told more of this story in a previous episode of Naked Age, episode 5, titled Transgender Woman Extraordinaire. She is remembered by both communities for her service to each.
Jeanette Schuster and Reed Schuster, as discussed at the beginning of this episode, also had a remarkable impact on nudism and education in their later life, establishing first another nudist club, Sunny Terraces, near Monterey, California, in the 1950s, and later in establishing the American Nudist Research Library, which is still thriving today in Kissimmee, Florida, on the grounds of Cypress Cove. Among the other accomplishments I've already listed, I also credit them with inspiring this podcast series as an attempt to carry forward their mission of collecting interviews with nudist leaders. I want to thank ANRL for making these clips and other research materials that went into this episode available to me and to all researchers. Support their important mission by becoming a member at ANRL.com. This episode of Naked Age included music licensed and sourced from Envato Elements and the Independent Music Licensing Collective. The theme song was composed by me. If you enjoy Naked Age, please head over to your podcast platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Your testimonials help Naked Age attract new listeners to learn about the fascinating history and culture of the nudism movement. Also, I recommend you join our community with a paid subscription to our Substack newsletter, Planet Nude. Planet Nude and Naked Age are free, but for starting at just $5 a month, you can support the research and content that goes into the newsletter as well as this podcast, both of which are truly labors of love. Subscribe and support us at www.planetnude.co. Finally, if you appreciate this podcast or you follow me and my work on other platforms, please reach out, send me a message or at me or email me at evan at planetnude.co. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to Naked Age. Until next time. On the next episode of Naked Age, author Dennis Craig Smith questions the science that says nudity is bad for kids. So it was just revolving quotes. People were not studying this. They were just quoting each other. Growing Up Without Shame, coming soon to Naked Age. Stay tuned.